Hey there, leading ladies. Welcome to the Women Physicians Lead Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Herbert, a two-time best-selling author, speaker, family physician, and executive leadership coach with over 20 years experience of providing primary care and serving as a healthcare leader. If you are a woman physician ready to make a change in your career and have a seat at the leadership table, then you are in the right place. I'm excited to provide you with the crucial skills you need to be a successful leader and strategies to deal with workplace challenges. So put on your headphones and listen as we explore the new world of building women physician leaders. Hello, leading ladies, and welcome back to another episode of the Women Physicians Lead Podcast. So I'm excited to continue our new season, Turning Pain into Purpose, and I have with me today another wonderful, inspiring guest, Dr. Angela Marshall. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Dr. Marshall, and then we're going to get into some questions and share a lot of uh, information and a lot of things that she has going on that I think will be inspiring to you as well. So Dr. Angela Marshall is a board-certified internist and is the president and CEO of Comprehensive Women's Health, Inc. She has two offices located in the Maryland area. Throughout her medical career, Dr. Marshall has impacted the lives of thousands of women and their families. She has been repeatedly named Top Doctor by the Washington Magazine and Consumer Research Council of America. She was also recently awarded the 2020 Top 100 Women Award in the state of Maryland and was recently featured on the cover of Enterprising Women magazine. Dr. Marshall has appeared on several news programs, including CNN, Fox News, and PBS NewsHour as a contributing health expert and currently chairs the board of directors for the Black Women's Health Imperative. I also learned that Dr. Marshall is also a new author. She has a new book that is um, going to be released March 28th, but you can pre-order the copy now. And the title of the book is Dismissed, Tackling the Biases that Undermine Our Healthcare. So we're going to talk a little bit more about this book um, during the interview but I thought I would just mention that early on in her bio, um, just so you can get an idea of um, the depth of Dr. Marshall and all the things that she does. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Marshall. It is wonderful to have you here. Thank you so much, Dr. Lisa, for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yes, absolutely. So I really wanted to, um, you know, have you on the podcast to share your story. It's just amazing how many people um, we get to meet and interact with on social media. And then when we finally meet them in person and learn their story and their journey, um, it's just so inspiring. So I'm, I'm really glad that we were able to make the connection and to meet. Yeah, same here. This has been great. Yeah, so the first question that I have for you is, really just to kind of share your story. So thinking about your own career journey and your leadership journey, who or what may have been instrumental in that decision? Well, interestingly, um, you know, when I was um, growing up, I grew up very disadvantaged. And, uh, you know, I'm a first generation college student. So I uh, didn't have a lot of resources or mentors in my family. But thank God for the village, because I had lots of extended family, family friends who were mentors and served as a huge support to me 
And for them, I am, am so grateful. Yeah. And thank God for the village, right? <laughs> Amen. Amen to that. <laughs> yes, because I can definitely relate. You know, um, I think it's just something about family and friends rallying around you, especially when you're the first to do something yes. and um, really, you know, being able to just embrace that love and support because, you know, we've gone through some challenging times, uh, We, you know, yeah. during our career and during our journey. So, so yeah. that definitely, um, is a blessing and uh concert I can definitely relate to that as well. Yes, yes. And you know, part of growing up, you know, and I hate to use the word disadvantage, you know, we have um, you know, different people have different experiences and whatnot, but you know, having such a um painful beginning, you know, it can be very um challenging to make it through. But being able to say that I made it out and was able to turn that pain and all that adversity into something powerful, you know, makes for, um, you know, it, it just makes, it makes me know that I can handle a lot now. And it actually gives me inspiration on, you know, solving problems even today. Absolutely. Yeah. So thinking about that, you know, your beginnings and sort of where you started, um, what sort of, you know, inspired you to go into medicine? Well, for one, it was, um, I wanted to help people. So I've always been interested in science and I love all kinds of science. I love math. I love science. And when I decided to go to college, um, I knew I wanted to be a doctor, but I wasn't sure that I was going to have all the resources to be able to afford medical school. And I knew it was a long time too. I knew it had to do four years of college and then four years of med school and resident. That was very, very overwhelming to me. And so um, when I was 17, I said, you know what? what if I don't go to medical school? And so I decided to actually major in engineering because I knew that if I graduated in engineering and didn't go any further, I would still have a great career. And I loved engineering too. And so I did that and uh, worked for a couple of years as an engineer and I really did enjoy it. But one thing I discovered while working as an engineer is that I was doing a lot of community service at the same time in my free time. And so I was spending a good 20, 30 hours a week doing mentoring, community service for the homeless, all kinds of, um, all kinds of uh, community service. And so that's when I learned or discovered that for me, it was really important to feel like I was helping people on a daily basis. And so that's when I started doing a little soul searching and said, you know, if I had gone to medical school like I had originally <laughs> planned, I could be helping people while still being, you know, intellectually curious and getting my fix with science. And, and so I decided to um, go back to medical school and it's been, it was the, one of the greatest decisions of my career. Wow, that's wonderful. And it's interesting to um, listen to other people's stories and see how all of us have a different path, right, to getting to that that point of, um, of actually going to medical school. But also what I think is really interesting, too, is, is that, or what a lot of people, I think, forget, is that for 
a lot of us, and when I say a lot of us, meaning a lot of us who are in those marginalized groups, you know, BIPOC, Black, you know, people of color, that those obstacles, right, that sometimes get in our way of us really moving forward and forging ahead with our initial dream or initial thought um, to go into something um, great, like go to medical school, that those obstacles can often veer us off into a different direction. And for some of us, it veers us, us off and we never actually get there. And for some of us, it veers us off and we may lose a little time, but we eventually kind of get back. But that's the gap I think that's necessary for us to take a look at and, and to make sure that um, we're understanding that we need to kind of close that gap, right? So that those challenges are are not so uh, uh, heavy of a burden to carry. So true, because, you know, when I look back, you know, I, I looked at the financial aspect of going all the way through medical school, but really, you know, it was such, it seemed like such an insurmountable task to go from being, you know, first generation, first person in my family to go to a four-year college to then go on and become a doc. Like my mind couldn't even comprehend that at that right. point, really. I mean, if I'm being honest. And so I think being able to make that, you know, um, sort of uh, intermediate step, like, okay, let me just get through this four-year degree. I'll just do engineering just in case I don't go. Um, you know, I think that was a, a more digestible goal for me at the time than to, you know, bite off what seemed like, you know, it was so out of touch. It seemed like such a lofty goal. Right. That, um, you know, I think that was much more uh, manageable. And, you know, and it can I, I feel that it's important for us to stretch our imagination when we are making goals, you know, but sometimes they can be a little, you know, they can seem unobtainable and, you know, which is why it's important to have steps to get to the goal. That Absolutely. Yeah, it's so interesting that you just shared that because um, I shared with my family and friends today a quote um, on social media that said just that, right? It's, yeah, take the small steps um, or the small yeah. steps can lead you to big changes, right? We don't have to embrace or go from zero to 100, right? Just to um, to be able to get to that end goal, right? Yes, that's so true. Steps. Yeah. So true, so yeah. true. So, so you decided to go to medical school, you went to medical school, obviously graduated, became an internist. And then what sort of led you to your, um, your practice and your interest now in women's health and how did that all come together for you? Well, for one, I, um, I realized very early in my medical training that women and men are different. And just like they say, kids are not just small adults, you know, right. kids and pediatrics is very different from adult medicine. Women's health is very much different from men's health. And so understanding also that so much of medical care, medical standards, medical research is all done on men. Mm -hmm. And then when women are included, oftentimes they're not breaking out outcomes based on gender. And so, you know, they may have a study of a drug that they only test on men 
And then they say, okay, it's approved for all adults, you know, from this age to this age, you know, including women, where, whereas it may not have even been tested on women. And so I realized that women's health really deserves its own area of specialization. And for me, that didn't just mean breast health and, you know, vaginal health, you know, what we call bikini medicine. That mm -hmm. means comprehensive health. Like mm -hmm. we are different through and through, even metabolically, even at the DNA level, we are different hormonally. We're different from men. And so it's important, I think, to have experts who specialize just in women's health. And I hope that more uh, physicians will choose that path going forward. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And that is such um, important work. I mean, how many years did it take us to realize that women present differently when we're having heart attacks, right? I yes. mean, just simple stuff yeah. um, that can be life-saving though, right? If if we kind of just put the, the time and the effort into the research that involves women as well, like you mentioned. Correct. So. Yeah. And one of the other things that I realized is that even not, not to... Um, you know, belabor the physiologic differences, okay? We also have other differences, differences in communication. And I learned that women generally prefer women doctors, right? Yeah. And, and as a doctor in training, I prefer dealing with my women patients. I, you know, I just connected more with them. And um, I figured if, you know, they prefer women doctors, I prefer women patients, why not choose a career that <laughs> focuses on just that? And so um, about 15 years ago, I started my practice, which is called Comprehensive Women's Health. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I called it comprehensive is just because I think that women's health should, should be treated comprehensively and not just, you know, in the bikini fashion, which is where, you know, a lot of women's health uh, focus lies. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's important too for our listeners to kind of um understand that in this journey that you that you took from medical school to like your own practice now that you charted your own path, which is really important, right? Because when we look at um you know, physicians today, or especially women today, you know, who are leaving medicine and, you know, mm -hmm. cutting back their hours, retiring early because of various reasons, obviously, mm -hmm. some of which probably stems from just a, a lack of gratification or satisfaction or, or lack of joy, you know, in, in their practices, that it's really important to do something that you believe in that you love and and really begin to sort of chart your own path. Absolutely. And I applaud uh my friends and colleagues, uh even you for charting your own path in medicine because a lot of times I feel that patients want to put physicians in a box like you are a doctor and that is all you do. Uh, yeah. And so, okay. you know, when you say, oh, I'm going to do something. Well, what do you mean? You're, you're too young to not see patients or you're too young to retire, you, you know? And so I think, you know, it's almost a form of objectification. You know, once you're a doctor, you know, that's, that defines you, right? right. Same teachers. Sometimes we, you know, teachers, they're only supposed to do one thing. And so I think it's important, um, 
especially for us to have satisfaction in our careers, to be able to chart our own path. And for me, it was not only being a physician, but also being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And uh, oh, by the way, my engineering degree, I love, I still love science. So now that we're in this digital health um, phase of medicine, I have embraced healthcare technology and digital health. That. I love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm able to marry, you know, the the two interests and, and the two careers that I've had uh, into something even different. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, so we're going to take a shift a little to just talk about um, one of the themes, you know, of our new season is turning pain into purpose. And you mentioned earlier on about, you know, having a painful beginning. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of that had to do with the challenges of really not having the resources that you needed to kind of, you know, go through college and, and go through medical school. Um, but what can you think about a particular time, you know, in your life or career where you faced a painful situation or had a challenge that you faced that was painful and how did you approach it and what positive came from that? Hey, leading ladies, this is Dr. Lisa. I love bringing you great content and dropping pearls to help you lead with confidence. So don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Hello, leading ladies. It's Dr. Lisa. Ready to claim your seat at the leadership table? Well, let's partner together. I believe that when a physician learns the crucial skills they need to step up and lead, positive change happens in their own life and community. So ready to talk? As a physician and certified executive leadership coach, I provide training and support for physicians who want to feel confident in their ability to lead and be the respected voice in healthcare. So if you book your free 30-minute consultation today, we are going to analyze where you are in your career and identify the specific support you need to lead successfully. And if we're a good fit, I will provide you with the solution that is best for you. So I look forward to learning more about your leadership journey and how I can support your growth go to www.justtherightbalance.com forward slash physician consult. That's www.justtherightbalance.com forward slash physician consult. Hey there, leading ladies. It's Dr. Lisa. Thanks for hanging in with me. Now back to our amazing interview. Yeah, that that's a great question. And so like you mentioned, you know, even, you know, growing up with so much adversity and, you know, making it out of poverty, you know, um, I was talking to some students recently and I was sharing with them that when I was in their shoes, you know, having made it through high school, through college, when I looked towards my future, I only imagined all the good things, right? I had imagined that I had made it through the toughest part of life mm. and that the rest would be, you know, getting married, have kids, you know, wonderful career, travel, you know. And, and I think that's human nature to only imagine, you know, the, the positive things that are gonna happen in your life. And that's, it's important to have hope and it's important to be positive about our future. Absolutely. But, Unfortunately, we know 
that everybody has trials and it, you know just because you reach a certain socioeconomic status it doesn't mean that you don't have trials and tribulations and so while i was in medical school i um i had two children in medical school uh one my second year one my fourth year and um my second son was born with uh, very severe birth defects and um long story, but, um, he was very sick at, uh, four months of age hmm. and I, um, took him to the hospital. And before I even took him to the hospital, I called ahead and told him, Hey, he's really sick. We're on our way. Thankfully he already had an appointment that day, but I called ahead to tell them he was really, really sick. And I was very concerned and we we're rushing, um, there to the hospital only to, um, encounter a physician who didn't, did not feel that he was as sick as I felt he was. And, you know, I felt like he was kind of blowing me off and, you know, even felt, you know, dismissed. And so, you know, I went through great, um, you know, pains to, you know, first politely say, hey, you know, he's really sick and, you know, talk to the nurses. And, and then I became more assertive and even, you know, a little pushy here because I felt like they were missing the boat. And um, unfortunately, you know, this is one of the, mo the most painful day of my life. I have to say that um, my son uh, coded while waiting for a bed in the hospital. And, you know, it's just because they hadn't taken it seriously enough to start treatment early enough. And so um, he passed away hmm. and, you know, to say I was devastated um, just doesn't even, you know, do it justice. And it's really taken me 20 years uh, to talk about it. Um, but um, it was it was the most painful day of my life. And especially being in the medical field and having the knowledge that I knew something was wrong and to have someone not listen to me and, and to dismiss me. And to this day, I don't know why he didn't listen or why he, you know, dismissed me. You know, I don't know if it's because I was African-American. I don't know if it was because I was a woman or because I was a medical student, but it was very painful. Mm. And so as if that weren't bad enough, um, I had one month left of medical school at that time. And the last rotation that last month happened to be in the same hospital where I lost my son. Oh, wow. And I can remember the first day of that last rotation. I, I had to finish that rotation to graduate. And I can remember sitting on a park bench um, outside the hospital um, on the first day of the rotation. And I thought, you know what? I don't have, I'm not going to do this. I don't have to do this, you know? And then I thought, how can I best honor my son? Mm. And the answer at that point was clear. It was for me to finish and for me to become a better doctor mm. than the doctor that treated him and the doctor that dismissed me and him. And um, that mm. sense of purpose is what got me through that month. And that sense of purpose is what caused me to start my practice and to be a better listener, listening to my patients 
and to do better than what I had, you know, as a patient, you know, as as a patient's mom in that situation. Wow. Wow. Dr. Angela, that just ripped my heart into pieces. And, um, thank you so much for sharing that story. I know that it's, um, something obviously that will stay with you and something that is, um, difficult to talk about, Mm -hmm. but, I also feel like it's important for us to talk about it, right? Because yeah, there's so much in that story that people need to know about what it means to really um, listen, right? To to release and and to recognize and understand our biases if we have any Mm -hmm. and how those biases can be, um, life-changing like it can it can be detrimental to someone's life right and and you not even be aware of it yeah and you know what's interesting uh Dr. Lisa is that when you're a black woman you know when when things don't work out or when you're treated a certain kind of way you know oftentimes we think it's because we're black, you know, and I'm sure white women, you know, they might think differently. They might think it's because they're a woman. I don't know. But, you know, as black people, we often think it's because we're black because, hey, that's the most, you know, right. English thing. That's the, the the thing I identify with most is my, you know, the fact that I'm a black woman. Yeah. Um, but, you know, sometimes we don't know what the person's situation was or or why, but most of the time it is, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. the other thing. But so when I set out to write this book and I chose the title Dismissed because that is exactly how I felt when mm-hmm. I lost my son is I felt dismissed. Yeah. But that's not the only time I felt dismissed. I felt dismissed in uh, corporate settings where I'm the only black person and people don't, you know, don't acknowledge my input. Yeah. Um, I felt dismissed in boardrooms, um, and other situations. And so, you know, I wanted that title. And, you know, when I chose the, the, the uh, publishing company, Kensington publishing, they, they've been terrific. Um, you know, they, at first they said, well, we may want to change the name. And I was like, oh, I don't know about that because that is the word. Yes, it absolutely is. I just felt so like strongly about, and, you know, we went back and forth and eventually they're like, you know what, that we're going to go with dismiss that (laughs) because we can't think of another word to really, you know, capture the feeling, you know, and I often tell my staff, especially, you know, working with women's health is the worst thing you can do to a woman is to dismiss her. Oh, Oh. (laughs) you know, we want to be seen. We want to be heard. We want to be validated. We want to be, you know, appreciated. And, um, and so again, you know, when I went, when I set out to write the book, my first thought was to treat it, um, from the African-American lens, right? Mm -hmm. Especially with all the medical mistrust, with all the, um, you know, I don't know if you remember Dr. Susan Moore, who passed away. Absolutely. She was a friend of mine. We went to high school together. That just breathed my spirit as well. Yeah. And um, just seeing all the 
you know, all the other um, medical mistrust and, and, you know, even looking back to Tuskegee and, you know, all the ways that African-Americans mm -hmm. have been, Henrietta Lacks, yeah. we have been mistreated in the medical um, setting. Mm -hmm. And so that was my perspective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then I realized that there are a lot of other groups that feel the same way, including mm -hmm. women, including uh, persons with disabilities, yes, um, persons with chronic pain, certain illnesses, mental illness. Yes, uh, you know there are so many different factors. Are um, you know older adults? You know people are seniors. Sometimes mm -hmm. feel uh, you know dismissed. And so I really felt like I needed to, you know, tell their story too. And so yeah. in addition to sharing my story, I share the stories of lots of patients that I've interacted with over the years and sort of a behind the scenes view of people being dismissed in a healthcare setting. Mm -hmm. and, um, and yeah, and it turned out, you know, really, um, you know, once I had a chance to look at all the different perspectives, I realized that this is not just a one-off or a small problem. This is a this is a systemic issue that needs to be addressed. Absolutely. Yeah. And I definitely um applaud you for your work and for my gosh, you know, taking that um that painful experience and turning it into this purposeful passion project, you know, of just educating us all about what it means to have been in that place and what it means for other people to feel, you know, dismissed and, and the things that we can do to sort of correct that so that hopefully, you know, we can minimize and reduce the incidence of um, harmful outcomes, you know, based on, based on those things. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, you know, um, about you and how you take care of yourself. What are some self-care activities um, that you engage in? You know, you do a lot, you have a family, you have your own practice, you wrote this book, and I'm sure that, you know, that there's a lot of other things that you do in your community as well. How do you just find time for you? Well, the first thing is I put myself on my schedule <laughs> because if I don't, I know that it won't happen. <laughs> so I, I block off time on my schedule regularly uh, for things like massages, uh, for little mini vacays, get, getaways. I try to do something at least once a quarter, like a getaway, even if it's just for a long weekend. Um, I, um, I also try to just exercise regular self-care, you know, on a daily and weekly basis. Uh, one of the ways I, you know, uh, like self-care is, is exercise. And so mm -hmm. being able to reframe exercise is not being some, you know, drudgery or some task that we, oh, I have to go, go exercise, but you know, reframing it as a form of self-care in a more positive light and that um, making that kind of paradigm shift on that has helped me be more, um, uh, um, just uh, do it more often, you know, more compatible yeah. with it. And so that's, that's another one. But um, also I uh, married a massage therapist. So 
that was I'm jealous. Oh my gosh. How I love a good massage. (laughs) That was strategic. And uh, so that helps too. (laughs) I tell them all the time, like you are my self-care plan. So (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Great. That is so great. Yeah. Oh gosh. I love a good massage. So I can only imagine. And um, I love the fact that though you decide to reframe how you look at exercise. Cause I think for me, that's a big uh, obstacle is that every time I, I know I should exercise and I do, but I always look at it as a begrudging sort of activity. And um, so maybe just taking your advice and changing my mindset around that to look at it as a form of self-care. Yes. Yeah. I could be more intentional about it. Yes, yeah. <laughs> not sh- I'm not saying that I do it all the time. I'm trying to get better, but right, right. it has helped to think about it in a more positive light for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's great. So as we wrap up, what three tips can you give our listeners on um thriving in the face of adversity? Um, you know, as as we are kind of in this uh, realm of um, just sometimes overwhelm and things are going on in the world, obviously today and and having to kind of show up, you know, as our best selves, what are some tips you can give us for surviving or thriving rather in the face of adversity? Well, I think one is to believe in yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, because if you don't believe in you, who will, right? So having that self-confidence, um, I often, uh, you know, I, I grew up in a, um, an area of the South where uh, we had a very strong dialect. And sometimes I feel like English is my second language. <laughs> the way I used to talk, it was just, you know, so, you know, sometimes you know, speaking, you know, it becomes, you know, uh, you know, I may struggle to find the word of words, right. Like that. And so, you know, how people have that furrow brow and they look at you like, you know, they don't know what you're like, you speak in a different language and, you know, you know, some of that, you know, having affirmations and believing in yourself and just, you know, projecting a little bit of confidence is, is, is helpful just in getting your message out. Number one, And then uh, number two, I would say, trust your former self. Mm -hmm. And I wish I could take credit for that, but I have to give credit to Oprah. I once heard her say that when I was a young adult, and that helped me in so many situations. And that when you look back on your life, situations that you left or that you left, you know, Mm. trust that you left that situation for a reason. Mm. And and, and not- and not keep going back and beating your head against the same wall. If some if somebody didn't work out in your past, don't keep going back and revisiting. You already made a decision on that. So trust that decision and don't mm. keep going back. Um, and the other uh, piece of advice I would say is to um, just do your due diligence in your life and just be prepared for, for life, you know, be prepared for your meetings. And, you know, I think as, um, you know, as women, as professionals, you know, it's so important to, because even if you're talented, if you don't do the work or if you don't have the preparation, 
Um, sometimes that can mean the difference between getting an opportunity or not. And so I often say, you know, luck is simply being prepared for opportunity. And so I think mm -hmm. when you're more prepared for life and prepared for things in life, you know, all of a sudden you feel more lucky because things just tend to work out. And so just being more prepared and doing our due diligence and that um, really helps. Yeah, those are excellent, excellent tips. I, I, I love all of them. Um, number two, really that one. Yeah. <laughs> We all have those, right? For so many reasons. Okay, yes. Number two, definitely. Yeah. Um, and and I can I guess I'm certainly a testament to number three as well because I do believe that that you have to be prepared yeah. and do your due diligence, right? Because then um I like what you said that luck is being prepared being prepared for opportunity. That is so true. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So this has been an, a wonderful interview. Thank you so much for not only just sharing your time, but for being open and vulnerable with us, for sharing your story. Um, and I can't wait to get a copy of the book. I'm going to go on Amazon today and order it. And I would um, suggest the listeners to do so as well. Um, the, the name of the book or the title of the book, again, is Dismissed tackling the biases that undermine our health care yes. and it is available on Amazon and I will also share uh the link in the show notes as well but um yeah good luck with everything uh, oh well so thank happy you. For you and thank you so much for having me this has been so much fun talking to girlfriend and yes meet you sometime we'll have coffee or something next time I come your way <laughs> absolutely I'm looking forward to it I really am so is there anything else you would like to share with our audience before um, we end our interview? Although we're not really ending it. We're just kind of putting it on pause. <laughs> yeah, well, just uh, again, believe in yourself and, uh, you know, keep keep pushing. Okay, great, great. Well, we are um, ecstatic again to have had you on the interview and feel free to come back at any time. Um, and, and we will definitely have that coffee. Okay, that's okay. terrific. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you for listening today and for allowing me to be a part of your career journey. To continue receiving leadership support, I invite you to join our private Facebook group, Building Women Physician Leaders at www.leadingladiesincharge.com. Until next time, take care.